We are trying to end the meetings a little bit earlier over this Christmas season, and the kids aren't going out, so they're all sitting here in the front. We had a very few, uh, we had quite a few upset hearts this morning, realizing our kids arriving, knowing that there wasn't going to be a certain family here anymore of little boys and girls, Caleb and Isabella and little Hannah. Well, we would say it in our hearts there, Keenan. Yeah, it's not lucky that Caleb's not here, right? No, man, we're all a bit sad. So actually, we had a, we've had a good time with them as a family this week. We've spent some time with them. Um, they only fly today, but they've just had a week to kind of pack and get their lives sorted out. But our hearts are tender. And you'll see today, we speak, I want to I speak about covenant. You know, and this meal that we're going to share today is about covenant. And what happens is when your hearts are so united together, it's a covenant. It's a very powerful connection. And as we go through this, you'll see there's no... There's no blood was shed between me and Steve and people for making covenant. There was blood that was shed once by His Spirit now, and then we have covenant. That's what this community is all about, by the Spirit of God that makes us one. And uh, Steve's going to be on CCFM this afternoon, his final swing in South Africa. Uh, CCFM at 1 o'clock on uh, Helen's show that broadcasts this afternoon. So if you want to listen to listen to him one more time, hey? One more time, Maury does his thing and stuff. But they've got an exciting future, and I know God's going to keep us in the loop with much with them to do as a family. But I want to read today from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And you kind of think, well, why are you breaking bread like now when we're actually supposed to be celebrating? It's like this is the other side of the victory that Jesus did. But I just feel it's quite appropriate because next Sunday I'm also going to be doing a baby dedication, which is going to be quite nice right around Christmas and the reality of Jesus being born to us as a child. But you see, the whole reason He came and we're celebrating Jesus this season is, is what we have because of Him coming. You know, and the way the Father did it, that He had to be perfect. He couldn't, the blood couldn't be passed on from an earthly father because the, the connection of generations and sin that are in the family would be passed on. And it was passed on, was perfectly pure to Jesus. And that's why I had to come through a virgin birth, being Mary, and we get to celebrate that at this time of the year. But this is the ultimate celebration of what He has given us and the power of the covenant that we now have with Him. And I just want to go into this passage a little bit today and speak about the context of stuff. So let's just read from verse uh, 17 in chapter 11. Now, this is the context here. Is Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthians, they were a, a ragged bunch of people. And there was obviously a lot of nonsense going on in this community. And Paul, a lot of his instruction is rebuke, because they're clearly not getting it right and the way they're doing things. So let's read from 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Great start. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? That what's got a good exclamation mark. What? You got drunk in church. And it wasn't by the Spirit. It was from the fermentation of those grapes. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? 
Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As a kid, I always remember the word damnation. He eats and drinks damnation upon himself. You're like, that sounds like a strong word, because there was the first swear word ever on the movies. Damn it. Damn. I think Sound of Music, right? In the 60s. The first swear word in movies. You'd be amazed today, that's like not even a thing, eh? Anyway. Okay. For you eat and drink judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Remember, He disciplines those He loves. So then, my brothers, when you come together, you'll say sisters as well, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at his home, so that when he come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you direction when I come. See, when, when, when the Lord's Supper was taken in those times and stuff, it was a meal, not just a little piece of bread that you were kind of a wafer that we kind of will hold on to and those ones you put in your mouth and it just dissolves gently and disappears. We've got our own home-baked bread from the, from the wild bakery, wild goose bakery that does it for us. It's not a, not a meal, but the context is a meal where you would sit down and, and feast essentially together celebrating and remembering the Lord. So that word covenant and what, that co what covenant brings us, okay, the power of this covenant that we have that we celebrate here today in the context of the season of knowing the name of Jesus is lifted high. People go to church for their second time in the year is on the 25th of December. There are two times. It would be Easter and Christmas. It's a time when Jesus is recognized because of this covenant that he's done. So in covenant, it breaks curses. It's war that you set in place in, this, in the spiritual over yourself. It brings yourself healing. It assures you salvation. It proclaims his death, his resurrection, and his return that is to come. It's your freedom, okay, the liberty that you have. And it's an authority that you have because of this meal that we celebrate here today. And the word covenant, it's important, I think, to understand what that word actually means when it's saying covenant. And there's the part of that word in the, in the Hebrew that you, if you read Genesis 15 and you highlight the word covenant, where God's making a covenant with Abraham, that word is all over the place. He's making sure he understands and he's declaring over Abraham as he speaks to him over him in Genesis 15. And, and part of that word is, it, is a sense of cutting, it says. 
says of cutting, it says a compact because made by passing between two pieces of flesh. Okay, say that again. Between the covenant. There's a Hebrew man right in our midst. He'll check if I'm going wrong, and I'm going right. Thank you. That's good. So the word means covenant league, uh, confederacy, conference, um, confederate, alliance, pledge, a, a league constitution between man and man, ordinance, okay, agreement, meaning, I like this, monarch to subjects. So I'm the monarch, you're the subjects, okay? You're down there. No, it's not that. It's ordinance, agreement, pledge, alliance, Okay, our friendships, alliance of marriage between um, God and man, alliance of friendship covenants, and divine ordinance with signs or pledges. Okay, it's a very powerful connection that's set in place. It's not just words, it's a heart-to-heart understanding that comes together. So you get covenant making, you get covenant keeping, and you also get covenant violation. I mean, people break covenant, and they break the tie and the, the connection between the two. So when... When, when you speak about cutting a covenant, okay, what would be done in the old times is that you would actually take an animal and you would cut it into two pieces and divide it and you would walk between the two pieces of flesh lying on each side. Okay? And what you're doing by is this, you are swearing allegiance between scattering the blood of the sacrificed animal. So what they're saying there as a public declaration is that it would be better to be like the scattered animal with its blood everywhere, than to break the promise that we've made between each other. Okay? It would be better to be like the scattered animal than to break the promise that has been made between us. So why blood? Why, why would, would blood have to mean the part of a covenant? Okay? And blood is the symbol of life. Okay? If your blood doesn't flow, you don't live. Okay? It's a sign of health. When your blood is healthy and the, in your system, you are healthy. It's also protection. So that when you injure yourself, very quickly I say to the kids, your red blood cells are on their way. It's going to fill, And there you see a scab forms. And slowly in, in, a, so in a couple of weeks, I say, show me where it is. They go, oh, it's gone. Your blood protects. It heals. It works in your body and stuff. So in today's modern studies, that when you put a blood cell under a microscope, okay, it will tell you a lot about your health. And you'll, often the doctors, when they put that thing on your arm, you've got a high blood pressure or low blood pressure. The, all these things are happening as it's flowing through your veins. And searches can be done on each cell to see how they're interacting with other cells in your blood system and detecting what parasites are in your blood. Often when you go for a blood test, they can tell so much about you, Right? Okay, and they can even detect early trauma in your life as a childhood or where broken bones have taken place in your body and diseases and the stuff that happen. So a promise that included blood was recognized as a covenant. Okay, even some who don't serve Jesus use blood as a sign of covenant that they're setting in place. Okay, between two parties. There's a book, a man called H. Clay Trumbells wrote called The Blood Covenant, and I got this out of a book that I've been reading on the power of communion, okay? And he, and he speaks about a people group called, it's, I don't know if it's Karen or Karen or Kar, Karen from the people of Burma, which is just above Thailand, okay, in the east. And he explains that in this tribe and this understanding of these people in this region, they had three kind of levels of truce making, 
making a covenant, making a pact, making a promise between the different uh, tribes that were in the region. Okay, so these levels that take place of covenant. The first and the weakest one was just enjoying a meal together. If you were kind of to initiate some kind of covenant, you would just share a meal and say, okay, and agreeing and speaking regards the, simplicity, the, the, the simple significance there would be peace for now as we are sharing a meal together. Secondly, to show a slightly stronger truce between two tribes, they would plant a tree together. And we'll put this tree in the ground and let it grow. And as long as that tree is alive and grows, there is peace between us. Okay, and to, this is just an example of this tribe in northern Burma. I, I watched recently this documentary on, or a program about this guy called Eli Cohen, who was a, a spy, an Israeli spy into Syria in the 60s. And the Syrians were shooting across the border, and the Israelis couldn't figure out where these bunkers were. And he got right into the other side of understanding where they were. And he was there one day with all the generals of Syrian army and stuff. He really infiltrated his way in. True story. And what he, what he arranged was, he said, there's no shade here for anybody. It's really hot out here. And he arranged and said, I will bless you, and I will give you a whole lot of trees to plant. And he planted trees in exactly where all the bunkers were. So when Israel shot, they knew exactly where to shoot according to the trees. Very clever. So they could see with their binoculars across the uh, Lake of Galilee. <laughs> it was there. So a tree just meant, while that tree's alive, we've got peace between us. There's a very low level kind of levels of covenant and agreement. Okay? The third kind and the deep, deepest one is a blood covenant. Okay? Where the true power of promise was found. So what happens in that, in Karen in Burma there, the chiefs of each tribe would stand across from each other, representing their whole tribe. It would be a public, solemn ceremony between everybody. And what would happen is that the, the chief would draw blood from his thigh, and the other chief would draw blood from his thigh. They'll take the blood, they'll mix it together, and they'll put it on each other's lips, okay, as a sign of covenant. Now you're going to have everyone in today's world freaking out about, he might have AIDS, I can't do this. Everyone freaking out about blood covenants, Okay. And they dip and they put the finger they, and they apply the, the blood to their lips. A very powerful agreement, okay, and force was set in place here. So it's not just agreement for peace or a truce or agreement between one another. It's a promise of mutual assistance in peace and in war. So you will now stand with one another, okay? It conveys the, the covenant party's mutual tribal rights, and, the, and as the chief includes and embraces the whole tribe. So it's not just the chief. He represents everybody. And if what he says and what he's done includes all of us, we're involved in this covenant that's being set in place. And what would happen there is land and territory would be marked by certain ways, and they would use one of the ways was to tie grass on certain parts of the path they would follow. And if someone came and saw a path of grass and a lining knowing this was a territory, the question would, would be asked of them um, as to who is this tribe and this blood covenant with before they actually entered the territory. If they knew that they were a part of what their chief had in instituted, it doesn't matter whether they were a slave or they were someone higher, whatever it was, they could pass through because of the covenant that has been given because of the chiefs that have set that in place. Okay, another interesting example is uh, with sheep farming, and they call it lamb grafting. So if a mother, an ewe, a mother, a, a mother sheep has a baby lamb, and that baby lamb for unforeseen circumstances dies, or there's some tragedy and stuff, that mother obviously is the loss of her own child, 
if another little baby lamb, okay, does not have a mother or something happens and there's some way that that mother or the mother of that lamb doesn't have and that lamb is an orphan, the mother won't just accept that lamb as, no, just take it on, you know, you help this because your baby died because there's a certain scent on the lamb that the, that the mother would recognize as her own. So what the farmer does is he takes the skin of the lamb that has died and he covers the sheep or the little lamb that's an orphan with the existing skin of the lamb that had died and presents that to the mother and the mother recognizes the scent and accepts that child or the lamb as its own. Now it's interesting how Ilana was praying this morning about being adopted into his family. You have been given a robe of righteousness. You've been clothed from on high. You see, so it's a very similar analogy where that mother would reject because I don't recognize, I don't, I'm not taking it on. But then the scent and the smell would be like, hey, actually, I will draw you. And then the mother feeds and that lamb nurtures and becomes um, you know, ready for sacrifice and all sorts of things that would have taken place in that time. So you've been clothed with righteousness. So again, you see, when we approach the Father and we come before His throne of grace with boldness and confidence, it's with that robe that we are covered and He accepts us not as orphans, but as adopted children of the living God because of covenant that has been set in place. Okay, and as I explained to you earlier in Genesis 15, Genesis 15, this is a very powerful passage where Jesus sets a covenant with Abraham in place. And then after this calls him Abraham. And this whole, I mean, this smoking fire pot and flaming torch that passes through, he asks for a cow, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And the birds he didn't separate, but the animals, they separated. I mean, that's a lot of blood, eh? That's a lot of blood <laughs> lying around. But a covenant was set in place right from the beginning. And right, not long after that, you know what Abraham did? He gave his wife, and, or he slept with Hagar and produced Ishmael. Did it break the covenant? No. He was just trying to do it in his own strength. He thought he knew better. And then Sarah births Isaac. And the journey, we understand how that covenant birthed and brought out today. So I just wanted to give a little bit of a, a background on how we get here today to celebrate this covenant meal in remembrance of our King Jesus, who we are celebrating in this season as He came as a, a baby to us all. And we are understanding, you see, that He was the ultimate sacrifice. His blood covered for all. That now this is why it's called a new covenant that has been set in place for us, to be partakers of, with the clothes and the robes of righteousness that have been given to us, and we can stand. As I was saying earlier about Romans 8, my spirit bears witness with His spirit that I am a child of, a living, of the living God, an heir to His throne, a co-heir with Christ, because of covenant, because of what He shed for you and I to be able to take part in. So it's the, today is celebrating the power of the freedom we have, the power of the authority that we be given as Christ's children. Power over the enemy. Okay, this is a source of our healing. It's an assurance that we are children of God. This is not just a little moment we go through and eat the bread and we just kind of wander through this thing. We actually really have to align our hearts and understand what God is saying to us. So this is what Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And he's explained to them, you've abused this powerful covenant meal and made it your own thing. And I'm not rebuking you today, I'm giving you context, okay, about what he's saying in this, in this passage. So if we look at this passage, as I build up from what I'm saying about covenant here, 
as I say, as he, as he started off, okay, he's saying, I do not commend you. Okay, and they're coming together to eat and drink as a church was not a true observance of the Lord's Supper, he calls it. Okay, because of the divisions among you, they were not united in the Lord. So what he does, he rebukes them and gives them proper insight into what the Lord's Supper should look like and how we should do it. And there are two ordinances for us as the church to observe. It's the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, and baptisms. If there's two things we've got to do right, and in honor and glory to God, it's those two ordinances that have been given to us. To do with reverence, to do with awe, to do with a solemn understanding, but with real joy in our hearts, knowing that we could never pay a price to have what we have. But the thing here, what Paul is saying is that the divisions among you, okay, the differences that they clearly cannot work out amongst themselves. Okay, and we need to, and we do realize that in the church you've got many people with many opinions and you've got many differences. And we do have that here. Does that divide us? No, it shouldn't. See, we can have our own opinions, we can have our own differences. But we've got the foundation of the Word of God that has given us the unity by His Spirit that we stand together as one. It's not agreement. Agreement is not unity. Okay, if we're all in agreement, then we can be called a sect. We all just, yes, yes, do what you say, and you just follow after that. It's not agreement. It's unity of heart. And this, this Corinthian church was not in unity. And something interesting he says there, with all the issues in the life of the church, that you can work these out, and you can find some commonality in that. He says, what is actually happening here? The divisions are the, div the divine purposes of God. Because what it's doing is revealing very easily those of you who are divisive, and those of you who have the true spirit of God inside of you. And you can see that very easily. Those who are devices and have their own motives and agendas in place get exposed very quickly. Where there's, the, where there's a group of people that operate by the truth of the Holy Spirit inside of them, you can clearly see they're walking in light. We can, you can see that easily. I've even seen that here. When own motives and agendas are they're exposed, but there's no unity because there's your own motives that are exposing your heart. Are we disunified? No, the Spirit of God makes us one. It's not a yabru, yes, bru here. It's unity according to what Christ has given us by the power of His blood, the covenant that is set between us, okay, to make us one. But what was also happening here in this church in Corinth, that it was also made up of very different parts of society. You must remember the church was a fresh expression of what Jesus had done, and, and by the church being established upon that revelation of who Peter saying, you're the Christ, and he says, on this rock I will build my church. So what was happening? Jews, Greeks, everyone was being saved, and we're all coming together as one. It wasn't just Jews, but Corinth was obviously a very diverse society because it was a big hub of a lot of business that would be taking place in that area. So what happens there? You've got the rich, you've got the poor, you've got all sorts of makeups of society, you've even got slaves that are part of the built-up of this community. So what's happening here? When they come to communion, the rich just do their own thing. Take all the food, eat everything, and actually don't even worry about their poorer brothers and sisters who are left with very little or nothing. There's the division. It's actually not doing something with what you've got to ensure that everybody has and shares together. And then, I don't know who was all getting drunk, but it seems like the rich were just having a party. And the poor and the slaves and that were left without. Look at this community. 
We're all from different walks of life and different backgrounds. This is the whole point of the church, is that we are one in Christ. Amen. And that's just talking about a meal. That's just talking about sharing as we come together with food. So what about our money? What about the resources we've been given? We've just done our thank offering recently. It's a point to be able to sow into what God is doing so that we can continue blessing those who maybe don't have more and continue advancing the kingdom together. It's not about empire building. It's easy to part with food, but maybe it's a little bit harder to part with your money. And it's not, it's not very different, actually, between what was happening here in Corinth and how there was clearly just selfishness. I've got what I want, and I'll build my own little thing, and I'll do how I get it, and in the end of the day, people suffer and people lose. Look at our society. Look at how the world around us works, folks. We are the only ones that can set an order in place to help it look like we are unified and one. With our resources, with our time, with our energies, we put in to see a people standing together as one in Christ. Okay, because divisions on society, like I say, are all over the world. If you go to Dubai, and not only the, that nation, but many other countries it happens, you've got three levels in society there. You've got the Emiratis, who own everything, and it's their land, and they've opened up many opportunities for expats to come in and to do business. So there you've got the Emiratis, you've got all the people that are doing all the work, and uh, are from higher level kind of work, from banking to all sorts of stuff, then essentially you've got a, another level of society there that is almost hidden away from the main driver thing. Is a lot of the guys are from Bangladesh and Pakistan and India, and they're essentially like slaves. They work in ridiculous and conditions, but there's three levels of society quite clearly divided. The world is full of that. But what unites us is the blood of Jesus, the covenant that we have with Him brings us all together as one, and we share our resources, we share what we have, and it unifies us. And the world looks at us and goes, how do you do this? How does this happen? It's because of the blood of Jesus that we can have this. And we're not, as I say, we're not the only nation riddled with these divisions that have separated us in society ways, but heart to heart, we can sit in this room and know we're one in Christ. It's very powerful, hey? Okay, as you're saying in verse 20 to 22, some were going hungry, some were eating. He refers this to that they were eating like called an agape love feast. It was obviously some term related to them when they had a love festival, a love feast coming together. The Lord's Supper is not the love feast. Okay, don't abuse what has been given to you as an ordinance of recognition of Jesus, what he's done for you, and you use it for your own gain. And you use it as a, as a love feast to kind of, in your gluttony, and uh, your insensitiveness towards other people, insensitivity towards other people. And then he connects the breaking of bread in those words that he says, it says, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That word proclaim actually is related to, and uh, part of its meaning means to preach. And then Acts 13 verse 5, it says, and when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. It's exactly the same word as proclaim. So when you are partaking of this meal, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. Essentially, you're preaching the gospel. You're telling the truth and the good news of what God has done over your life, celebrating as a community together, or wherever you go, in, when you do this, doesn't say we have to do it on a Sunday all the time, when you do this, remember me. 
Remember the price that I paid for you in coming to this world and setting a, uh, an order in place for you to be able to access the Father and make a way. You are proclaiming, you are preaching the good news of Jesus. Okay? It's very important how we approach this meal and stuff. It's, you know, the Corinthians is quite clear they didn't approach it properly. And there's three ways I think that are very important how we approach this meal. It's with a somber heart. It's not sad. Okay, somber means reverence and awe in reality of what was actually paid for for this. So there's a lining of your heart of, you know, okay, let's do this, yeah, okay. No, it's, well, let's just acknowledge, let's just pause here and go, wow, like, a man, a man, he lived like a man. He grew from a baby that we celebrate in this season. A normal man, the deity of Christ means he was fully God, yet fully man. Like I said to you a couple of weeks ago, there's not one of you here that have been under so much pressure that you would sweat drops looking like blood. None of us have been under that kind of immense pressure of knowing that we're going to have to offer our lives. But He did that for you and I. There's a price paid. It's a somber heart. We're thankful in our hearts knowing that what He's done for us, okay, has given us the freedom that we can now celebrate and glorify Him. There was no big tabernacle here in the middle or big altar that we've got to slack a sheep on for us to be able to please God. We just walked in as the family of God and celebrate. We are thankful for what He's done for us. Okay, now I want to read a little story from understanding the context of being thankful and realizing how God has positioned you with purpose in your life and the power that He has given you to in every circumstance. I bet a lot of us think sometimes we go to our jobs and we do what we do and thinking, God, what is happening? What are you doing? What is happening in my life? And I just want to read the story of this, this firefighter. It's another story in, in, in California, and it's about a guy who's man of Mark. And he was a California fire captain for 30 years with the, wild, uh, with the wildfires firefighters. And in 2007, he was assigned to a major fire in the San Diego area. The location had burned four years prior, and the firefighter had tragically lost his life. Mark and his team were stationed in that exact place with winds gusting up to 90 miles an hour. That's about 140, maybe 150 k's an hour. The threat was extremely high that the fire would begin to spread. Mark, the division supervisor, was tasked with keeping it contained by any means necessary. And as his shift began, it became obvious to Mark that it was not going to be an easy day. One firefighter sustained a burn. Another fell down a hillside fractures his arm and needed a team to rescue him. After that, an engine crew reported to Mark that they had been uh, fired upon. The crew had been uh, clearing houses in the path of houses that accidentally stumbled across a meth lab in a different location, and another firefighter fell into a canyon and broke his leg. His rescue required a Coast Guard helicopter. In an incident unrelated to the wildfire, a house caught fire on the, on, uh, caught on fire down the road from where they were stationed. An elderly man wandered away from his home, le- leaving his family terrified that he'd been caught in the fire, but he actually wasn't. Three traffic collisions occurred that required firemen to be present. And finally, as Mark was flown by helicopter to survey the fire in his designated area, a warning light came on in the cockpit, and the pilot had to make an emergency landing. All this happened in the midst of the regular operations needed to contain a 100,000-acre wildfire. And Mark finally, around 8.30 in the evening, things had slowed down, and he could sit and catch his breath. He says, I was extremely tired, stressed, and very ticked off at God 
He was angry at God for making me go through all of this. And I had the classic, why me attitude. He sat on the tailgate of his truck, feeling overwhelmed and exhausted. And he noticed boxes of lunch and sack lunches that had been prepared by a local church. Now, you remember when he had these fires and all the stuff that we took to the fire stations to provide for these guys fighting these fires? Mark reached for a paper bag, realizing that he hadn't eaten all day. The very first thing I pulled out of a small piece was a small piece of green cardstock, piece of paper, written in a child's handwriting in black crayon was, Thanks. Love, Allison. I bowed my head and wept. Then I heard that still small voice, and he gently said, Son, you forget why you are here. All of these things happened today because I knew you could handle them. That's why I put you here. You forgot that it's not about you, it's about them and you bringing my love to them. I brokenly asked him, well, how did I show them your love? It was all crazy and fast and I never even thought about you, truth be told. He replied, you were here where I wanted you to be. And then the Lord said, I want you to take communion here now and I want you to remember me. Mark reached into his sack lunch and pulled out some Ritz crackers and a bottle of Energade. And in the middle of a major fire, he took communion and remembered why he was doing what he was doing. Ever since that day, whenever he got angry or fearful, I remember a card written in crayon from a nine-year-old girl. I remember how much he loves me, and I take communion in remembrance of him. See the power of this meal? It's got to help you remember and recognize that you have a call, you have a purpose in your life to be who you are in the position that you are. Stop saying, why me, God? And I'll start acknowledging I'm here for a purpose. I can bring light. I can bring change. I can just show love in this context. And the only reason you can do that is because of this meal. The covenant, the blood that was shed, the covenant, the new covenant that was set in place for you to be free and partakers of this together. See, we celebrate as well. So we are somber. We are thankful, understanding what He's done for us, but we also celebrate. We've done it many different ways here. Sometimes during our worship, and it's a big Thanksgiving celebration time, thank you, Jesus. Because the reality is, and I love this line, when it's saying, knowing His mercy means, I didn't get what I do deserve, okay? And His grace means, I get what I did not deserve. Jesus came to set the captives free. Just a last point here in verse 27. He speaks about taking it in an unworthy manner. And I... You know, as a kid, sometimes you grow up and you hear that word damnation, you know, judgment upon yourself. And you have this fear of like, you're going through all your sins going, okay, God, I just want to be sure that I'm fine because some lightning bolt's going to take me out now if I actually not all my sins are cleared. No, it's not, it's not out of fear that we approach God. It's out of reverence and awe. But that you know in your heart, you are right with your brother and your sister. You know that you've set things in order. The power of forgiveness has been given to you to be able to release others that you don't hold on to grudges and to offense and all those things that hold us back. If we're harboring those things in our hearts, you see, we've got to be pure and, and with clean hands and a pure heart come to the Lord and assured in our own hearts. He's not going to smite you, but what you do is you bring judgment upon yourself. And I think it's very important to understand that if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus... 
and you come and partake of this meal, it is in an unworthy manner. Because you're not understanding the cost that was paid for unless you've surrendered your life to Jesus. And you've fully submitted to Him saying, you can be my king. I also want to say, and I've experienced this of late, is that if you are dabbling and flirting with other religions that require blood sacrifice, you've not fully acknowledged the power of this sacrifice. If you are dabbling and flirting with those, this one doesn't mean everything to you. You are taking it in an unworthy manner. It's, this is the only covenant. This is the only blood. So for Satanism, what's required? Wait, blood sacrifices. Ancestral worship, blood sacrifices. What did they take to Clifton Beach when there were all big fights on the beach there? What was it? A, it wasn't a sheep. It was a goat. There's no other sacrifice. If you are dabbling and flirting with other things, in this season to be celebrating Jesus, oh, meek and mild, come to this earth. How are you approaching that throne of grace and this blood that was paid a price for you? You see, I can feel the somberness in the room now because this is serious. You don't just acknowledge this just by freely saying, oh, I'm free, grace covers everything. No, no, that price was paid that you now can be in freedom and we can celebrate together as one family and one body in this place together. There's only one perfect spotless lamb that was sacrificed for us. So maybe as we, around those tables, let's just pull those covers off if we can and we're going to get ready to do this together. So let's, let us not do this in an unworthy manner this morning. Let us not do this if there are any divisions among us. Okay. Let us be assured in our hearts that we fully surrender to Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning that if you've never acknowledged that Jesus is your Savior and you surrender your life to Him. See, I'm not saying to you this morning that the reality of this meal that we celebrate is you could not pay the price for your freedom. So you can't say, oh, well, I'm not worthy enough to be able to partake of this now. He has made you worthy. Because of the blood that He shed, the cloak of righteousness that has been given to you allows you to come and approach His throne with boldness. But you're, knowing it, you're doing it with a sincere heart, not with an arrogant heart. Like, yeah, I've got this. Grace covers me. You're understanding the power that's been given to set you free and not be bound by lies that the enemy has placed in your heart. Let us proclaim together. We proclaim. We're preaching. We are prophesying and saying we proclaim His death until He returns. And let us with sincere hearts believe that there is power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Wonder-working power. That's a good song. Okay. Power, too, for breakthrough. Good old Steve, and he said last week, you people always preaching breakthrough. Yeah, breakthrough, breakthrough. I mean, how thick is this wall that we've got to break through? But you know, you, know, you know why we always need breakthrough? Because we give license and agreement to the enemy in our lives to be able to hook onto things with us. You, you give him room to do that. That's why you require breakthrough. Because of the way you think, the way you believe, the things you say, the things you do, the doors you open in your heart in life, you give him access. And what he does, he holds you, he grips you by unforgiveness, bitterness, offense. He holds you back with these things. That's why you need breakthrough, and He breaks those chains off of you and sets you free. Clarity. I really believe for you that you will get clarity as we partake of this meal here this morning. Clarity, with, not clouded with the pressure and the demands, but you see how you've been positioned for greatness. There's much pressure, much demand in this busy world gets placed upon us, and we just don't have clarity. We're like, oh, God, in the midst of everything. We all know that feeling. 
clarity. 2020, clarity, clear vision, walking into new year, understanding and seeing what God has got for us. And by His stripes, you have been healed. Sonia, by His stripes, you have been healed. There's healing in the blood. And we are going to partake of this this morning, and we're going to give a declaration to the heavens and over our own lives. We are believing that the breakthrough will come. See, there's the grace thing, that you acknowledge and come to Him. Say, God, I lay these before you. I lay these for you. Repent is changing the way you think. Don't go back to it. Walk away. Turn around. Walk free. The breakthrough will come. That the clarity will come to you as you walk into a new year. God has got great things in store for us and declare healing over your bodies. And I want to encourage you, you know, many people have asked me, well, how much, how often can I take bread? It doesn't say how, it doesn't say how much. It says when. Take it as often as you like. And there's something just reading that book on the power of community and the power of covenant is that some people, when they require healing and they wanted to see God where they take and they break bread every single day. And the miracles that have taken place by acknowledging this covenant meal that has been given to us, they see breakthrough in their business, they see breakthrough in their healing in their lives, they see breakthrough in family um, dysfunctions, they see all these things start happening because there's acknowledge of the power of the blood covenant set in place for us, the new covenant. I want to encourage you. If you're walking through something, break bread every day. It can be with orange juice and a cream cracker. It's acknowledgement of who it is that you're acknowledging with this meal that you're remembering Him by. And we, to get, we get to do that as a family now, together and acknowledge the King. So what I ask is maybe everyone go and get a glass and a piece of bread, okay? And I want to do this as, as a declaration together, okay? But if you are not sure of your salvation... I need, I need you just to wait, and I want you to come and talk to me afterwards if you're not sure, and we will pray with you afterwards, and I will break bread with you as you commit and surrender your life to Jesus. You know who you are. Your, your heart is racing a lot quicker. You are understanding the context of what's happening here, and you are kind of seeing you know exactly who you are. 